Hey, what is up, dudes and dudettes? Drew here at The Anxious Truth. Welcome to episode 97 of the podcast. Today, we have some very special guests with me. This is Colleen Merlot. She is the executive director of Long Island Against Domestic Violence. And sitting next to her is with a, with a hood over her face. You guys, if you saw a video, you'd be dying right now. <laughs> Sitting next to her is Wendy Linsalata. Yes, same last name, that's my little sister. She is the Associate Director of Long Island Against Domestic Violence. Today we are going to talk about the connection between abusive and controlling relationships and anxiety and anxiety disorders. So thank you ladies, I appreciate you coming by. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for taking the time. So I put this out, let's talk about your agency for a little bit like what's you guys have been in the domestic violence abuse of controlling relationship business if you will for many years why don't you give us a little bit of the background so they know that you know what you're talking about okay so our agency has been in existence for over 42 years and we provide comprehensive services for survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault everything from a 24-hour hotline to counseling services shelter services vocational training mm. Um, and then we do a lot of prevention and education as well. Yeah, so you guys are knee deep in this issue all day long. Yes. So Wendy's been at this for how many years? Many years. Uh, 20 something. Yeah, 20 something years. All the way from like working in, you know, the shelter and working your way up through the agency, right up through advocacy and all that stuff. Yes, like you've been, you've been through the whole gamut of this. So, yes. Wendy is an expert and she has frontline experience. She has administrative experience. So she really has a strong background. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So we, we're lucky to have two people who really know this topic in and out. So that's why I invited them in. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because we seem to have a thread that runs through this community. Um, more people than I think will admit. And sometimes we see the stories. There's a fair amount of abusive and controlling relationships that I see in the community that surrounds the podcast. And I think it may contribute to part of the problem. So <clears throat> do we have any idea? We were talking about it a little before we turn the mics on. Like, is there some correlation or, or do the numbers bear out that somebody that's dealing with some sort of illness or disability may be more likely to wind up in one of these relationships? First of all, one in three women and one in four men in the general population will be a victim of domestic violence. So domestic violence overall is very, very common. Right. However, I think that in some cases, when someone has a vulnerability, they are more likely to become a victim. Okay. So let's define, because we're not necessarily talking about natural domestic violence, physical violence, but what, what are the other aspects of an abusive relationship? that we don't talk about quite often. It doesn't, is it is always not always physical? No, um, most people think, right? Right. It's black eye, it's getting hit, it's getting yeah. you know, choked or strangled. Um, but domestic violence takes on many forms. Uh, the emotional abuse can be particularly hard um, and it's in every domestic violence relationship we see. So if there's physical abuse going on, there's emotional abuse going on. Yeah. However, there are cases where it's emotional abuse and that can be just as detrimental as the physical abuse. Right. So it could be emotional abuse without ever laying a hand on somebody. And that still qualifies. Right. Like that is, a, that is a toxic relationship of some kind. So what, what we define domestic violence as is the abuser is using power to control the person. Okay. Excellent. So it might be financial power. It might be emotional power. It might be, um, you know, physically holding mm -hmm. that person in a space. Right. 
So the people that are generally listening to the podcast often are dealing with disorders like panic disorder and agoraphobia. So they are almost by definition stuck in a space to begin with as they work on improving their lot. And the common thread that I see is being involved with somebody who leverages that against them. So we'll continue to point out things like, you have this ridiculous problem, you can't even leave the house, you can't drive without me, you can't work, What you're useless, and you're not smart enough or good enough to ever get better. You're never going to get better. I hear this all the time. That sound like something you would expect. That's abusive, and you know it makes sense. So one of the tactics that abusers use is isolation. Mm -hmm. So commonly, when someone reaches out for help, we find out that they haven't spoken with their family in a long time, that they really have distanced themselves from friends. And it's because the abuser uses that in order to control that person. And also, there's no one watching, right? Yeah. So no one's saying, oh, this seems a little strange that this person is doing this to you. That seems abusive. When the person is isolated, there's no one around. No, there's no easy. one to check in with. There's yeah. no one to say, am, am I like experiencing this correctly? This doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Um, so it's a tactic. And for the population of people who may already be in a situation where they're self-isolating, mm -hmm. it's really easy for someone to swoop in and use that vulnerability against them. Yeah, so th there's that vulnerability, that isolation, the ability to control somebody really easily because when you're 100%, you know, we talked about the topic of safe person. So many people who develop these disorders wind up having a safe person or safe people that they feel they can function around. If I'm with my husband or my wife or whoever, then I can go out, then I can go shopping, then I can go to the supermarket, I can, I can live my life, but not without that person. So it's a, it's a wide open door to somebody who wants to control another human being because they are almost putting themselves into that person's hand 100% all the time anyway. So it just makes it super easy, I think, for somebody who, if that's your goal, you want to manipulate and control somebody, a person who's dealing with one of these disorders would be a really good target, I would think. And relationships never start off that way. So I also want to make that clear that it's not the person's fault who's being abused. Um, the abuser is strategic in what they do. So they start off as being that person, you know, oh, you're having an anxiety attack. Let me be here. Let me be supportive. Let me help you through this. Oh, you want to try to go to this place, but it's scary to do it. Let's do it together. And they, they purposely are going out of their way to become that person, to become so that the person is dependent upon them because then they have the control and they have the power. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, it's setting setting up for a perfect storm where the person finds themselves says, this was my safe person and now I'm in a situation where my safe person is no longer safe. Right, right. And so I could see that being a thing, but that's whether there's an anxiety disorder or not, that's a common pattern though. Like Absolutely. I'm going to become your everything. I'm everything you ever wanted me to be. And then I'm going to turn that left hard. Right. That's yeah. the whole pattern because the more you're isolated, the less support, the less likely you are to try to leave. Right. That sums it up right there. Yeah, yeah. But what you said, Colleen, is super important, though. It's not, it's not the victim's fault. The, you know, they went into a relationship that seemed like everything they would ever want. Right. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I asked people to ask questions about this. Let's go over just some basic things, though, I think, um, before we go into some of the questions. Because there were some really good questions in a couple of broad areas that we can cover. Now you find yourself in this situation, and you are the victim, whether you're male or female. Is, is there a turning point for some people? Is there a typical thing where people hit that this is it, this is the final straw, I need to get out of this. How difficult is it for somebody to really start to extract themselves or even consider doing that? 
I think it's different for every person. I think every person arrives at a decision to leave from a different place. So I can't really say like, this is it. And this is when people leave. I think everyone arrives at that for a different reason. And sometimes it's because it turns physical. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because finally a friend recognizes and reaches out and says, I'm worried about you. And then the person can say, oh, wow, what I've been feeling is really real. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it gets, you know, it also gets clouded a bit when there's an anxiety disorder because people start to not trust what they think. They don't trust their own thoughts, their own decisions. They don't trust their own feelings because so much is goes right to fear. You're ex- excited, fear. Angry, fear. Sad, fear. So they don't, they start to lose trust in their own ability to assess a situation. So what I see sometimes is like, well, am I... I think it's just my anxiety. Like, I don't think he's really, he's not really that bad. It's just, that's my anxiety. And the other thing that I hear, and we should really talk about this, is the hard definition of things that you can learn to accept in life and that you should never accept in life. And I think whether there's a physical component to the abuse or not, that's danger. Would you agree with that? Like, that is actual danger. We talk about this all the time. You can learn not to be afraid of panic because panic truly isn't dangerous. But somebody who's manipulating, controlling you, that is danger, whether it's physical or emotional. That yes. is danger. And I think for people who are trying to relearn ways to think mm-hmm. and, and you know, look at their thought patterns and say, I need to change this because I want to be able to, you know, manage my anxiety. It can be difficult to know, is the abuse that, you know, is the anxiety caused by the abuse? Is that real or not? And the bottom line is if someone is causing you to feel anxious, that's real. And you need to look at that. And if there's things going on where you feel very controlled or the person is using your anxiety or anything else that you're insecure about against you, Mm -hmm. that's abuse. So, you know, like we're talking about anxiety disorder, but in any abusive relationship, so suppose someone is concerned about their weight, the abuser is going to be very kind and caring about the person and supportive. And then all of a sudden, when it becomes abusive, they're going to use their insecurity about their weight, their insecurity about their family history against them. Right. So that's the same thing that's happening for people who have anxiety. They're taking something that the person feels vulnerable mm-hmm. and has shared with that person, yeah. right? shared with the abuser that they feel vulnerable yep. to the point where um, the abuser knows exactly what to do and what to say to make that person feel small, right. to make that person feel insecure Um, And so if you're feeling that way about your partner, trust that feeling. Yeah. I think one of the things that we talk about a lot, because it does cloud the waters to a certain extent, because people will say like, oh, I don't like to talk to my sister because she gives me anxiety. And we will say, she doesn't give you anxiety. She might stress you or make you feel angry or upset or things like that. But but you don't have to be afraid of being stressed, which is where the disorder comes into play. So people get really confused. It's like, well, yeah, my husband, he really is giving me anxiety. Well, is he, is he giving you those, what, what feelings is he really giving you? Forget the fear of how you feel, but what actually are you feeling as a direct result of him? You're not feeling afraid that you're having a heart attack or going crazy because of him. There's some response before that. I don't know if this is making any sense. I think people will understand what I'm saying, but people get confused a little bit. Like if they're anxious, they're going to hear, you know, their therapist or, or, you know, the community around the podcast will say, well, make sure you understand that your husband doesn't cause you to have a panic attack. That's you being afraid of how you feel. 
but he can cause you to feel stress and unsafe and and insecure that's real you have to you have to tease that out yes yes yeah. absolutely yeah. and it's tricky it's not easy you know and i think each situation is going to be different so for people listening you know unfortunately we can't give them a script and say this is definitely abusive and this is more your anxiety coming into play right but if you have a question you know if your listeners have a question in terms of is this potentially an abusive relationship if it's safe for them to do so i encourage them to reach out and get support and yeah. talk with someone about it we'll talk about that we'll give out some numbers and stuff and where people could turn for those sort of things i, I think you're right sometimes just getting that third party eyes on it hey this is happening is that should i be concerned about this so one of the questions that came up is and it's almost a rehash of what we just talked about but how do you get okay with that because we you know how do i get okay with my anxiety well how do i learn to be okay with this person that's controlling me and manipulating me very the answer short is, answer you don't you don't right there are some things in life that are not these are not accepting problems that is not an accepting solution like nobody has to put up with that nobody should be subjected to that so i don't everyone I deserves to feel safe in any relationship that they're in yeah that doesn't mean that relationships don't have conflict or that you don't have an argument mm. but the argument shouldn't leave you feeling so drained and vulnerable mm. you know there needs to be equal power when you're arguing right mm. so it shouldn't be one person always making the demands on the other partner right um, there needs to be some equality and respect there and if the person's feeling unsafe or like you know, I, I always think about like walking on eggshells. If you have to walk on eggshells to not anger that other person and to keep things, you know, in a place where there's homeostasis and things are okay and everything's kind of operating smooth, that's a toxic relationship to the point where it's probably abusive. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I would think that whether if you're feeling unsafe or insecure or maybe that you have no choices anymore. Like I don't have any say in this anymore. That's probably another red flag. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you're not if you're not participating in decisions and setting the direction of the relationship and your own life to a certain extent, that's probably a giant red flag. And I think for some of your listeners, that's particularly challenging because for some people, when you have anxiety, you do give up a lot of choices and power to someone else. And that if you're making that choice and you're comfortable with that, and the person is using it to try to help you um, reach your goals. That's not abusive, right? So there's like this fine line. Right. But if the person is using that against you and making you feel bad about it and taking away the choice, that's where it's abusive. Yeah, that's a problem. So one of the other questions that came up quite a few times was how do you how do you approach seeing this person? Like it, it appears that these are people who ask the question have already kind of started to either started to extract themselves out of the, out of the, the uh, relationship or they are already have. What do I do? How do I expose? Because we talk about exposure all the time in the podcast. How do I expose myself to that person now? If there was abuse in the relationship, any form of abuse, right? And you are now out of it. Yeah, you don't expose yourself to that person. Yeah, you don't have to learn. There's no way to learn. There's to no be around learning that to be around that person because you left the relationship to be safe. Right. Exposing yourself to that person is going to compromise your safety. That makes that makes perfect sense. So the answer to that is you do not do that. You are not required to expose yourself to that person and learn to be with them in any way. There does not to be any contact. No, 
I mean, unless, of course, there were children involved, oh, right. there was visitation. But generally speaking, and people don't like to think about this, but sometimes it means you may have to alter your life a little bit. That's what I was going to say. I think some of it is, you know, there are shared friends or there are places that we used to go right. to together. Well, for your own safety, sometimes you can't go just there anymore. Just don't go there anymore. Right. That's just part of the price of extracting yourself out of this relationship, I'm guessing. And that's always tricky because people say, well, that's victim blaming or then the victim. But you know what? The bottom line is you want to be safe for yourself. So I know for myself, if I'm feeling unsafe in a situation, I'm going to try to make what changes I can. Right. Um, and it's the same thing here, you know, thinking about the best ways to keep yourself safe. Yeah. And yeah. that Would may mean... I'm sorry, I can't socialize with those friends when that person is around. Right. And that's just probably a healthy choice to make in the long run. Maybe in the short term it stinks, but in the long run, probably better, I would think. So that, that's one of the things that came up over and over and over. Like, the other thing is when somebody is ready, um, you can open that if you want. Um, when somebody is ready, then how do they start that process? What's the safe way? And, and, and this, a couple of people ask is, how do I go to the process of, of getting away from this person who is a safe person. This per this is my safe person. How do I start getting away from him or her? Like, what are the steps that somebody has to start to take? Because this has to be difficult, I'm guessing. Well, like Conley mentioned earlier, um, it's not easy getting out of an abusive relationship. So it needs to be planned out. Mm -hmm. It needs to be thought through. Um, the number one thing not to do is to tell your partner that you're planning on leaving. Right. Don't ever tell your partner that you spoke to a friend, a family member, a hotline, anything. Because when you're leaving an abusive relationship, you're actually, you're, the level of danger for you is higher right. than when you're still in it. So that's number one. Number two, don't plan it alone call a local hotline local to where you are and allow experts to help you explore every option available not every option is going to fit every person mm -hmm. some options may be more dangerous for somebody so you need to really think through all of your options and make informed decisions as to which way you're going to go. Right. So there needs to be a plan. It sounds like, yeah, like you got to make a plan. Yeah. And I think also to be real with yourself, emotionally, it's going to hurt, right? Even if this person was horribly abusive to you and you feel like you, there's parts of you that hate this person. You were in a relationship with this person. There's parts of you that may still care about this person. There's parts of you that is going to go through a grieving process, grieving, the times that were good, grieving what you hoped you could, you know, have with this person. So I think being real with yourself about the emotional toll that it's going to take and trying to find support around that. Yeah. So, but this is not something that you just decide to do one day. Well, maybe you could, I don't know. You know, that's it. Some I'm going to up do. and go. Some people do. Yes. Some people do. Um, okay. Well, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but having some idea spur of the moment might not be the best idea. I'm guessing if you're going to leave, then you got to know where you're going. Above all else, I would guess. And have a plan for staying safe. Right. Right. So making sure that if the abuser is likely to try to follow you, um, find you, that you are going to a place that is safe where they can't do that, to buy yourself some time, 
to put a, a stronger plan in place, right? If you are leaving spur of the moment, going somewhere where you're going to be safe. Right, right. Makes sense. So now let's talk about um, one of the things that came up. Here's a good question. And I don't know if you can even answer this, but I think it was a good question. How do we regulate our own emotions when living with an emotionally abusive controlling partner? So this is a person who is in the process of recovering from panic disorder and agoraphobia. And, you know, how do you regulate yourself? Because my guess is at some point, things are going to start bubble up and you might start to go on a counter offensive or of some kind, or, you know, you're melting down on a regular basis because of this is, you know, other strategies people could use? Well, I mean, I think that in an abusive relationship, emotional regulation is really hard because you're living in a situation that is completely abusive. I mean, it's that clear. So if somebody is treating you badly and you respond in a way to feel hurt or afraid, that's an appropriate response. And should we be regulating that? Or is that a piece of what's protecting us and keeping us safe and making sure that we're actually experiencing what we're experiencing? Yeah. So, you know, I think that in all abusive relationships, the victim oftentimes does that regulates emotionally and tries to keep um, things really calm so that things don't explode and the abuse doesn't get worse. Right. Um, and that's a protective factor, but it's also a protective factor to know what you're feeling because hopefully it's going to lead to you making a change so that you can feel more safe. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing also too is oftentimes people don't reach out to domestic violence organizations because they're not ready to leave. And they make this assumption that a d domestic violence agency won't work with me if I'm staying in the relationship. And that's not true. Most domestic violence agencies will work with you. So if somebody is thinking about leaving the relationship or has just an inkling that they want to get safer, right. we'll talk with them and work with them in a way to build safety in the relationship not that we're ex excusing the abuse or saying it's okay, right. but if you're choosing for whatever reason, because this is the choice you're making to stay in the relationship, we're going to talk about ways that you might be safer emotionally and physically in that relationship. That's interesting. I wouldn't, obviously I've seen you guys do this for many, many years. I would have never thought that like, even if you're not leaving, you could be a resource or an organization like yours can be a resource. Right. Very interesting. We meet you where you are. Right. We're not here. We don't force anybody to do anything they're not ready to do. Yeah, this isn't about like you got to get out right now. No. You know, don't put up with this any more girlfriend. It isn't that. This is a no. Real, that's real dangerous, thing. actually. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. So one of the things that also has come up in these threads is there's two things I want to talk about before we start to wrap it up, so we don't go too much longer than a half hour. But what happens after seems to be getting asked a lot, like the the I would say the damage that is done or you know the hurt that has happened and the trauma that's sustained after years in an abusive relationship now you're out and now you're safe and what comes next people seem to be a little nervous like well what do we do after that what's the healing that happens after that I mean I I, I think most people that have been in an abusive relationship benefit tremendously from receiving counseling and some education around domestic violence there's a lot of self blame that goes on when you find yourself in a relationship that's been abusive, like, why did I choose this person? What is it about me? Why did I stay so long? And I think learning the tactics that abusers use is really important because it helps people realize it wasn't their fault that, yeah. um, and it's very healing. I think also, you know, sometimes people are doing reasonably well 
when they leave a relationship and then they choose to start a new relationship. And that can bring up feelings of, um, of being scared. So that's another time where just seeking support, whether it's professional support or making sure you surround yourself with friends. Um, but I have to tell you that that's the best part of our job, I think, is hearing from people who've, you know, gone through our services and contact us years later to tell us, you know, what they're doing. I'm, I'm moving to Florida. My kids are graduating high school. Um, you know, my son got a scholarship. And, and these are people who honestly came to us feeling very hopeless and afraid and not really being sure what tomorrow had in store for them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everyone's journey is different, but we've worked with, you know, over the years, thousands of survivors who right. have a tomorrow and have a future and things can get better and you can heal from trauma, whether you have an anxiety disorder or not. Yeah, it's, it's all doable. So, I, you know, I would add, if you're also dealing with these anxiety problems, you, you got to work on all of it for sure. So do the things that we talk about all the time in the podcast and in the community. But, you know, addressing the traumatic experience has to happen to maybe at the same time. But finding good help is probably a big deal, I'm going to guess. So let's talk about one more thing. Well, this, this is interesting. And this was the people are asking, who's, who's the controlling person? You know, and we talked about this before we went on, hit the record button. Does somebody with anxiety going to pick intentionally kind of put their conduct here, you take over because I don't have the ability to right now. I'm afraid to right now. But, you know, we, we kind of flip that on the other side, though. Like, it's not that it's not the person, the, the anxious person's responsibility for creating this manipulating, controlling relationship. Even if they do say, help me right now, that's not a license for the person to manipulate, control and, and oppress you. Absolutely. Right. right? So. And abusers are looking for whatever they can to exploit the person right. to control them, to keep them in the relationship and, you know, really turn them into someone who is the victim of abuse. They yeah. do whatever they can. So even if you've handed the reins to this other person, it does, still does not give them license to turn into that. No. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. So, and, and which seems obvious, but I think people listening need to hear right. that said sometimes. And the last thing is men forgotten in this i think we most of the time and i'm guilty of it that my my head always goes to the man is the abuser and the woman is the victim but how often is it the other way very common right so we cited statistics earlier one in three women one in four men right um you know there's also same-sex relationships as well so we see domestic violence um, and dating abuse unfortunately occurring through all age groups and all relationships um and I think it's particularly difficult for men to seek help around this issue because there's even greater stigma. Yeah, yeah. It's tough enough for men to talk about their anxiety problems. I think if the, a man being a victim of some sort of domestic abuse is probably really hard for them to talk about. Absolutely. Very difficult. So let's talk about some resources then. Uh, we should give out your, let's give out the national, at least here in the U.S. For those of you listening overseas, uh, you know, I'll try and find some resources and put them on the website, the show notes of this podcast. But if you're in the U.S., there's a national health Helpline. Do we know what that is? 1-800-799-7233. Okay. That's a good number to have. Um, is, there a, is there a national organization that may have a website or does that not really exist? It's kind of local most of the times, yes. That's the national hotline that I just gave you. Yeah. Um, there's the National Domestic Violence Hotline has a website. Okay. They will refer you to an agency closest to where you live. Oh, good. Okay. So they're kind of like a central clearinghouse, yeah. which is a good thing. 
So how do we find Long Island against domestic violence? For those listening, and there are some who are in the area, at least, um, you have a hotline, you have a website. We have a 24-hour hotline, which is uh, Mm 631-666-8833. We also have a website. It's Mm liadv.org. And we encourage people to reach out to, you know, ask us questions, get some answers, get some support. Um, even if you just have a slight inkling that the person you're with might be abusive, call us. Yeah. You know, we can help you sort through, is this just a bad relationship or is it abusive? Right, right. And I would say, you know, if you're on social media, you should follow Long Island Against Domestic Violence because it's not just Long Island. There's a lot of really good education that comes across your social channels. So I'll link that all in the podcast episode too. And do we have anything else we want to add? We're pretty good. I think we're good. I just want to thank you. This is such an important topic um, for all the work that you do to help people who are dealing with anxiety and for bringing us in um, to talk about domestic violence. You're very welcome. I'm glad you guys came in. It was super helpful. So, all right. I guess we're going to wrap it up like we usually do. And um, as always, I'm going to ask you guys a huge favor, which is if you are listening on iTunes or whatever podcast episode, uh, podcast network you're on, If you like the podcast and it's helping you, by all means, rate it, review it. That would be a huge help. And, uh, of course, find me on the website at theanxioustruth.com. You'll find all the show notes for this episode. And uh, if you have any questions, let me know. Happy to answer them all the time. See you guys next time. It's all around you. You can breathe it in. And this is where your story begins. You got the feeling that you're going to win. Yeah, you're on your way. It's in the afterglow It's in the lyrics of the songs we know It's in these feelings that you never show